if we don't do it, Sky will. The Football Podcast. Three friends picking the bones out of the weekend's football. Hello and welcome to episode seven of If We Don't Do It, Sky Will. We're looking back on a double Premier League match day, the weekend of the 4th and 5th of December and the preceding midweek. 20 Premier League matches have been played since we last spoke. So without further ado, let's just quickly say hello to Nick Gilmer, our Man United fan, who's riding high after a first clean sheet in ages. We're back. We're back, baby. (laughs) And George Harker, a Leeds fan on the Isle of Man, who's just seen Leeds pick up four points from two games. Hello, George. Yeah, we're nearly back. Good evening. And my name's Alex Gross. I'm a Spurs fan who's uh, considerably happier this week after two wins and two clean sheets. And uh, we've rocketed up the table to fifth place. So I'd like to start at Ellen Road this week, George. Our teams each had two home games this week and we were ever so close to getting the clean sweep of six wins for our teams. You picked up uh, a late, late win against Crystal Palace in midweek, but then having led 1-0 against Brentford at home on Sunday. It was another last gasp goal this time from Patrick Bamford that saw you claim a point against Brentford. So it's four points from the two games. How do you feel about that, George? Much better than I did a week ago, but five points in the space of eight days, which is the kind of form we need if we are going to get away from that rather congested bottom half. It's not separated by many points now, given Newcastle have started to pick up points. Yeah, feeling much better. The club will be the death of me, though. <laughs> 93rd and 95th minute. Yeah, it's not yeah. good for the heart. Lots of late drama at Ellen yeah. Road this week. Yeah, Thankfully, there'll be none of that in the rest of this month. <laughs> which I won't bang on about again. But that's that's exactly why we needed some points from these games. I think everyone was kind of hoping for seven, given the teams we were facing were all bottom half teams, but unbeaten, you could look at it that way. And it's nothing if not entertainment for the fans. Tuesday night was one of those, really. Uh, if anyone saw it, Ben Teke's horror miss from half a yard out. I did. I enjoyed that very much. I'm glad I'm glad the real Ben Teke has now stood up because um, yeah. he was on far too much of a good run. That might be a bit of a turning point, which sounds a bit odd, but just a bit of luck that we needed. And the penalty, I, I don't see how you can't see the penalty. And I get that you have to put your arms up to elevate yourself, but he saved it more or less. So, I, I mean, obviously I'm going to say that being a Leeds fan. But I'd... So just for anyone who didn't see it, this was a handball by Gehi, which was given by the referee uh, mm-hmm. after VAR review. Yes. And obviously, as is now, as soon as it goes to the touchline you know what's going to happen yeah um the decision's either going to be reversed or given um so yeah that was that was brilliant um and the place was uh bouncing um sunday's game against brentford not overly sh- well i do know what happened uh we got two first teamers back in luke ailing and patrick bamford and lost two first teamers in the same game captain liam cooper and calvin phillips who is absolutely integral to everything we do calvin phillips goes off and they're two one up eight minutes later which says it all. Um, yes, I noticed that on Match of the Day. How bad are those injuries? To be confirmed, not sure at all. The Cooper one, a lot of Leeds fans won't be that sorry about. League One Liam, as unfortunately he's still called. <laughs> but uh, Phillips is, well, everyone knows how important he is to us. So we'll, we'll wait and see. Like I said before, not sure it'll even matter with the games we've got coming up, but hopefully it's not a long-term one. But happy to snatch a point in the end, which is disappointing being at home and leading against a team yeah. like Brentford. But yeah, like you said, four points will we'll take that and look forward to January it was absolutely incident packed especially on Sunday wasn't it Ivan yes. Tony was missing for Brentford having tested positive for Covid yes yeah very last minute apparently yeah then as you said yep. you had these players go off at a nice uh, goal by Tyler Roberts with a Rafinha assist mm-hmm. yes good, very good. good save from a Luke Ailing header one thing that I yep. noticed with Brentford's goals or chances that were shown on the highlights at least were that Leeds's players uh, at least their fullbacks seem to be quite poor at stopping crosses would you agree yes junior furpo in particular who you wouldn't have thought we'd sign him from barcelona or maybe right. you would given current barcelona standards yeah. but barcelona he's, he's, reject 
Very much so. I think uh, they snapped their hands off for the money. Yeah, not sure what he's good at yet, if anything, which is disappointing, um, having lost Alioski for free, who was obviously crazy, but very solid at left-back. So it's been a problem position for us for years, but um, yeah, it's something that needs to be definitely addressed. Ailing, he's just back from like 11 weeks out, so we'll give him benefit of the doubt. But um, yes, the Barcelona man is very much a bit of a, <laughs> bit of a question mark for a lot of fans at the moment. So then One, on the on the hour mark, Sergi Canios, who is usually a wing-back, he, he was playing up front yes. because of Ivan Tony's absence and he scores for Brentford. Can you talk me through why he ran straight to the Leeds fans in the corner, pointed yeah. at his chest, mm-hmm. then pointed to the ground and seemed to mouth, I love it here, before having a <laughs> yes. bunch of missiles we- thrown at him? What, what's the beat we- there? <laughs> There's obviously previous. The only <laughs> instance that springs to mind is he did miss a Benteke-esque sitter a minute or two before, which he obviously got a lot, of, a lot of stick for. He had an incident when we were obviously based on the championship three years ago. Bielsa's yes, this season. is what I want to know about. Uh, he seemingly headbutted um, one of our subs on the bench, but nothing ever came of it. And then... <laughs> Every, every the sta- um, standard championship fair. Then. Well, yeah, and, and every meeting since he's obviously been targeted for abuse. Now, I, yes, I saw he got hit with a plastic cup. I think it looked like I, I obviously deplorable. We don't throw things, but at the same time, players can't expect to go to an away game and go straight up to the fans, you know, face to face and just yeah, absolutely. And the, the other players and, came and, straight over to try and stop him from doing yeah, that because it was it, clearly provocation. Yeah, yeah, and it was one stand. You don't do that in front of in the Premier League it's probably yeah. that one so <laughs> he kind of made a rubber his own back but at the same time yeah it's been investigated and I would expect some sort of sanctions because it obviously can't be tolerated thankfully it was just a plastic cup and nothing more severe yes incident packed as you said it was that related to the incident at the end that was remarkably they chose to show on no. match of the day too also <laughs> no. what's that uh, director of football's name who was uh, uh, Victor, giving it Vic- all that Victor Orta yeah you don't often see a director of football on match of the day no <laughs> 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 the only thing I've read about it from someone who I remotely trust um, is, is just Phil Hay from The Athletic, who said yes. um, it was aimed at a Leeds fan. Some sort of fallout. I was wondering whether during the second half and the away end would have been so far away for those gestures. I was wondering whether it was more yeah, local abuse, more localised to him in that stand. Yeah, yeah, and I, I don't know. In my head, Brentford fans are very well behaved. I don't yeah, can't even yeah. see Brentford fans doing something like that. Yeah. But he was apparently being goaded about his pretty poor, to be fair, transfer record being in charge of transfers at Ellen Road. Um, his only gold star being Rafinha. He's the only real... Right. Uh, he's one of quite a number of players and the, about 90% have been complete flops. So I can only assume he's been given grief for that because we're losing at home to Brentford. But and, can he um, take credit for Bamford, who's stuck the equaliser in? Yes. I suppose, I suppose so. I'm very, very happy to have him back. Missed him terribly and just need to keep him fit because our injury list this season is, is obviously ridiculous. I, we've used 25 players this season. We used 23 in the entirety of last season. So we've been really hampered by injuries and that only gets worse usually over Christmas. So if anyone does get injured, I hope it's not him or Rafinha. But but yeah, very good to have him back and, and, and very unlike him to celebrate so wildly. Obviously, yeah. meant a lot to him. Uh, to celebrate a, an equaliser exactly. against Brentford <laughs> so wildly. Yes. I bet you were excited when Elan Melia came up for that corner. Uh, yeah, one day he'll shut you guys up. <laughs> yeah, you didn't even mention his save in midweek from uh, another Ben Teke chance. Oh, oh, only because I know you could arguably say he made the error himself by right. guessing where the ball was going to go. I wouldn't have suggested that, George. <laughs> his reflexes were very, very impressive. To, yeah, to it was good, back. yeah. I, I'd already resigned myself that it'd gone in. I'd left the room. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was really surprised it wasn't given. And if you look back, Ben Teke was actually celebrating already. So, oh, yeah, um, nice insight into your viewing habits. <laughs> he so. should know better. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that was a clean sheet for Melier and Leeds as well, which is uh, quite rare. something. Yes, very rare. Still on negative seven goal difference. So many teams in the league still on negative goal mm-hmm. difference, which we might mention later. But uh, as you said, uh, you're bunched up there, 16 points along with Southampton and Palace. Brentford just one point above you. Mm-hmm. But yes, a nice six point gap between you and the relegation zone now. That's the main thing, isn't it, that's, George? That's a nice buffer. And it's so weird because we would have been top half if we'd won that game, I believe, 10th. So it's, it's incredibly congested. But that's the main thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's the buffer. It doesn't really matter 
matter where we finish at all. And of course, the good times are bound to roll on as you're going to Stamford Bridge next. Absolutely. Arguably a good time to play them, but I'll eat yeah. those words when we record next, I'm sure. They're having a wobble, but we'll see whether you can wobble them further. I'm really enjoying, or well, I was really interested to see um, Frank LaBeouf's insight around Frank Lampard and what happened with his Chelsea team when they had a slight wobble. Um, having started well, you remember all the plaudits were coming out to say what a good job Frank was doing. They had a wobble and they completely collapsed and essentially <laughs> it's the same group of players. So uh, it will be interesting to see. I think Leeds is the perfect test for a yes, team having a wobble. We'd hope. Maybe not at home for Chelsea, but let's hope, George. <laughs> So speaking of clean sheets, Conte has got two this week, six points. As I've mentioned, all these games were at home. So the Brentford match at home on Thursday was the first match I've watched in full on television in over a month, I think, for various reasons. I think since the defeat to Ollie's Man United seems like a very long time ago, doesn't it, Nick? That was another lifetime. So against Brentford here, we really, really needed a good performance more than anything else, I think. Apart from an early goal, which looked like it was a Ben Davis header from a Son Heung-min cross, but actually came off two Brentford players and ended up being an own goal. It was a slow first half again, and it was a, a largely passive first half in which we allowed the visitors to play, and it wasn't enormously exciting. But in the second half, I wouldn't exactly call them green shoots, but I would call them perhaps seedlings of something new and exciting there. There was some good play. So in the second half, we created some chances. Kane had a one-on-one, which he missed, made another chance and uh, flashed a ball across the box, but no one was quite there to finish it. Um, But then the second goal was really wonderful. Kane, in his strange quarterback style role, played a magnificent pass from the centre circle to Reguillon on the left side, who squared for Son to tap home. It was a really exciting goal. Just one thing that I would mention was that the commentator on uh, BBC London Radio on Sunday for the Norwich game, which wasn't televised, did pick up on Kane always moving deep these days. And when we were 3-0 up against Norwich, he lost his patience with that and he really criticised me. He said, what are you doing? Sadly, I don't remember who this was, an ex-player, saying, you're 3-0 up with 12 minutes to go. Why are you coming deep? Just running behind, get yourself a goal. You need to break your Premier League duck, as it were. It is really strange, this uh, tendency that Kane has developed to come deep and that everybody thought that it was Mourinho making him do it when he started doing it uh, at the beginning of last season. But it seems to have nothing to do with Mourinho per se. It seems to be Kane's personal choice, really. And uh, when he provides passes like he did for that second goal against Brentford, you can't really complain when, when the product is that. But it's not what he's there for. And it is strange for somebody who's won the golden boot on many occasions. I can't understand it as someone who seems entirely motivated by goal scoring and personal records as well. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, very strange. But on this occasion, it worked wonders. And if they can get that partnership between Kane and Son firing again, as it was in the first half of last season, that would be splendid. The Norwich game then was one that I listened to on the radio and watched the highlights. And it was a very cheering scoreline and some good goals, especially uh, Lucas's goal. George, I know you admired that one. Yeah, I think it's been under... Underheralded, I don't know if that's a word, but it's, think, it's not being lauded as much as it should be. I, thought I think it should be goal of the month for December, yeah, yeah although it's, it's early days. It's world class. It's the first touch that takes out two yeah. players, I think. And Skips then gets past the ball two or himself. three. Yeah. yeah, absolutely brilliant goal. And the shot is as straight as an arrow into the top bin, isn't it? Yeah, and he's he's a bit in the shadow of, of Son and Kane ever since he yeah. joined. But he, yeah, but he's he's developing into a real fan's favourite for his level I can, of effort. I can imagine, I yeah, yeah. I can imagine he would be mine if I was lucky enough to uh, support a team in your higher echelons. But um, <laughs> yeah, fantastic. Also note from this game, a couple of horrendous misses from Norwich, which could have made the game yeah, very, so very different. <laughs> I, 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 that's what I was getting to. I think I suspect that had I gone to this game and seen it in its entirety, I've, I would have been somewhat more uh, annoyed or somewhat less pleased than just seeing the highlights because the fact is that they had 59% possession and we gave them the ball and this is Norwich at home. So I don't think that especially at Spurs, don't want to sound like uh, the Hammers and their West Ham way and all this stuff, but sort of long term, we don't want to see us ceding possession to teams like that. But 
Having said that, beggars can't be choosers. And at the end of Nuno's four months, we really were beggars in terms of wanting to see any excitement at all. And to keep clean sheets and to score a couple of goals from open play, a couple of beautiful goals indeed. And to now be up in fifth with that game in hand, that Burnley game that was snowed off, which could come in really handy, is nothing that can be sneered at, I think. So we're away at Brighton next and um, have to see how this Conte project develops. I am cautiously optimistic and very pleased after that week, I must say. I'm going to the Wren game on Thursday night in the Europa Conference, which I've already mentioned. I thought was going to be a shootout for who wins the group. But of course, we've messed that up with our embarrassment over in Slovenia. So um, we're literally just uh, hoping not to humiliate ourselves further by not even qualifying from the Europa League Conference group. So that takes us to Nick's Manchester United, where there is all sorts going on. I mean, Thursday night, you had an absolute classic at home to Arsenal. Michael Carrick's last game. Carrick faced plenty of questions as to whether this was in fact Rangnick's team, Rangnick's tactics. He batted those away, said no. And then on Saturday, there seems to be a consensus that uh, Rangnick really stamped his style onto the team, even even though he had only worked with them for about 48 hours. Uh, Just before time of recording, I saw um, Carragher and Neville on Monday Night Football discussing United's tactics on Saturday and this new so-called 4-2-2-2 formation, which got you a 1-0 win against Palace on Saturday. So you've also picked up six points and a long-awaited clean sheet. Feeling good, Nick? Yeah, feeling better, I have to say. I think we've got our nerdy German in and uh, yeah. I think he's been met with you know approval across the board, to be honest. I think it felt like a sensible appointment, which you can't trust the board to always do. Except from um, Tim Sherwood, of course, today, who says uh, he's not sure because uh, what's he ever done? Well, and, and that, to be honest, Tim Sherwood is absolutely a figure of fun. But, uh, <laughs> he's, he's, he's literally just checked Wikipedia, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. That's all he's <laughs> well, done. Well, he actually said there doesn't seem to be much clamour for this guy so I'm not sure why they've gone for him. Oh, sorry. He's checked odds checker. And- <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it is the only criticism you can throw at someone yeah. like, like Ralph Rangnick, which is, you know, he's got a couple of cups under his belt, I think. But otherwise, he's... he's he, won, not- he won a trophy with Schalke, which to be fair, really is a miracle. Well, yeah, especially when you look at where they are now. I can vouch for the fact that not all great managers are... Um, yes, George. <laughs> ...defined by their trophies. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> well, I'm and I'm fully on board with that. I think it was the criticism that often got levelled at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But I think what we've got now is someone who really understands the game. I think it was obvious that he was wearing a Michael Carrick mask against Arsenal on Thursday. <laughs> and, I mean, Thursday for me was notable for two things, and they were both absolute howlers from the referee. Yeah. First, the only reason Martin Atkinson got the decision right with the David De Gea Arsenal uh, uh, Smith Rowe goal is because he was too slow to blow his whistle if he'd blown his whistle he would have disallowed a perfectly good goal which he tried to do but But of course he would never have been in that invidious position if the Gooners had any decency well and yeah exactly I think Arsenal are making a bit of a habit of it this season absolutely and then of course to have missed celebrating wildly (laughs) Yeah, they're celebrating like they've won the cup. And I think, um, if anything, it probably fired up United on a night where they really, really needed to win. I think were Arsenal to have gone on to win that, United would have been basically out of the the top four race. And then the referee still somehow contrived to miss one of the most obvious penalties you'll see all season, um, which ended up being the game decider. And uh, and he could not have been more better placed. I think um, the fact that Varney is getting involved in that was, was bizarre. But yeah, United were good. Arsenal weren't. Arsenal were not very good. I think... Um, I think they're limited. Can't be surprised. Yeah, I, I'm not sure what their ambitions are this year. They've done very well to even be in the shake-up for the European places, but I think there's got yeah. to be six better teams than them. And, you know, Arteta is going to look like one of the poor relations now that United have got their act together. Liverpool, Chelsea and City have all got world-class managers already. Yeah, um, I was going to make this point, actually. Um, I think George and I uh, wanted Oli to stay and when we're not happy that the prospect of United having somebody very competent in there for once. But uh, what it does mean is that of the so-called 
big teams, what you used to call the big six. <laughs> Arsenal are the only ones without an absolute top manager now, aren't they? And Yeah, uh, and they will be the first and the loudest to start jumping on his back when yeah. it goes wrong, especially yeah. when they look around and, you know, their neighbor, you, you guys up in up the road have got one of the outstanding world-class managers now. I don't know how you... Well, I hope so. Things. I mean, a- another thing that I'm fascinated by now is uh, in the context of these chats, as I said, uh, Neville and Carragher are talking about Rangnick and talking about his influence on other German managers and the Bundesliga influence on the Premier League since... Um, Pep also came to City after a long time in the Bundesliga. So you have these four managers that have a Bundesliga Rangnick pressing grounding. And then you have also a very, very top manager in Conte, but in, at least ostensibly an entirely different school. And I will be fascinated to see whether he can still match these other guys tactically or whether his uh, his best time has gone. I remember in my perception, Conte's peak was around 2016, 17. So at the Euros with Italy, he made uh, Joachim Löw match his back three formation and only lost because of that ludicrously extended penalty shootout. But he it was a very good Italy side, tactically very impressive. And then obviously he went to Chelsea and won the league in his first season. So I just wonder whether he's passed a sort of peak or whether he can reinvent himself or keep up with these German-influenced uh, coaches. Um, and obviously goes without saying that I'm hoping he can. I think without wishing to go back to Spurs, I think Conte, when it goes wrong at Spurs after a couple of matches, yeah. when he doesn't get the results he wants, it'll be interesting to see just how badly he wants to be there because yeah. he didn't want that job originally. And, <laughs> yes, and the transfer window is where he traditionally falls out with people. Yeah. And that's say, coming. Yeah, see um, see what he gets and doesn't get in January, I think that's yeah. And he has already started piping up about what he wants and how big a job it is. Well, um, he's not going to get it, I can tell you that. <laughs> He'll have to deal with the limitations under Levy. So Rangnick imposed this for 222 in his words, he said he played two strikers and two tens in the semi position, which I'm sure had a lot of viewers of Match of the Day scratching their heads. But what he essentially means, well, in this case at least, was Ronaldo playing with Rashford up front, which is kind of good for Ronaldo because it makes him less isolated and makes it less obvious that he's quite old and needs to do all this pressing. If he has someone really young next to him helping yeah. him out with that. And, you know, to be fair to him, he made a point of pressing a lot, didn't he, against Arsenal? I noticed that. And uh, from the highlights, against uh, Palace as well. And then behind those two, he had Fernandez and Sancho. Sancho, who is definitely coming into form, right? Yeah, he's had a very good fortnight. I think it will be the making of him. Yeah. So what I would expect over the coming weeks is some really high profile errors from United where they're getting used to the, you know, I I mean it seriously, as they adapt to this new style against better opposition, I think there are going to be some high profile errors when it goes wrong. But generally, I expect it to go right quite quickly and for for them to learn quickly. And especially if people of the caliber of Ronaldo buy into it, it, it can't really not work, can it? I think you're right. I think it's, in a really interesting time I think they've definitely held him back this whole work permit nonsense has never been spoken about <laughs> with another manager before I think they've held him back until after the Arsenal game because what United have now is six very winnable games mm-hmm. and a Champions League dead rubber to use for experimentation and so it's a really it's a bit like Conte at Spurs he's coming in and he's going to be the beneficiary of a mad schedule so having a deeper yeah. squad than most of the league he can rotate and it will still be quality that he's putting out there and I I think United should be looking at 15 out of 18 points over the next well, now six matches. They've done the Palace job already. Um, I, don't, I don't know quite the six games that you're referring to, but I did see that they have no league games against the top side other than West Ham, which should now be considered a top, a top side, certainly at this moment, until March, which is incredible. Yeah. I should include in that the very honourable exception, George, of a trip to Elland Road, which is which can never be a normal game for Manchester United. We get to give them a high hiding a second time in this season as well um, um, it was nil-nil at our place last oh, season oh that's true yeah that I'll take true. that again thank you very much I apologise that was a bit of a dead rubber at the end of the season wasn't it oh there we are yeah <laughs> excuses there's the I, excuse but I think United against Palace particularly in the first half I mean it was a, you know cliche alert a bit of festive cheer in the Gilmer household because I was putting the Christmas tree up and listening to it on the radio in the old school way happy uh, days it wasn't, it wasn't on telly but I think in the first half it sounds like we were as good as we have been for a long time I think it was a really interesting yeah. call to drop 
Wan-Bissaka and play Dallow. Did Wan-Bissaka play neither of these two games? No, but he wasn't available for the Arsenal oh, right. match. So he's, he's not been binned off. off as such. <laughs> he's not been binned off as such, but I do think that if you're going to play a pressing and high-intensity game on the front foot, which has to be the ambition, then you want a defender who can attack from fullback positions. And if you yeah. look at the, if you look around the league, the teams that are doing well have brilliant fullbacks going forward. Absolutely. And I think Wan-Bissaka will have a a job to do when United are playing these, you know, these Chelsea's and these Liverpool's and these cities. But Norwich on the weekend, it will be a really interesting call if he sticks with Dallow because Dallow's delivery is as good as anyone at the club. And Tellez has been very good on the left as well. And it's unfortunate for sure that he's he's regressed a lot since the Euros. So these other two suit the newer style much better. I think so. And I think, it, yeah, against teams, United would expect to have more of the possession, not relying on counterattacks and, and actually you know trying to build attacks without relying on individual brilliance. They would offer more forward. So yeah, United sound very, very good, although still relied on that moment of brilliance, this time from Fred, which caught everyone by surprise. But I just get the sense that Rangnick is going to absolutely love Fred. He's exactly his sort of player. He said that he has Fred and McTominay together on six, again to borrow uh, Rangnick's parlance, but uh, he keeps them together in a sort of tight uh, defensive midfield pairing, doesn't he? And he doesn't allow either one of them to roam. And um, yeah, who would have thought that they would be such a such an integral part of a top manager's plan? Well, and if you look at the team he picked, whatever the formation, that was Ole's first choice team as well. And you can just imagine Graham Sunes wondering where Paul Pogba will fit in. Paul Pogba will be unavailable until <laughs> he has his medical with Real Madrid and Bar- or Barcelona in the spring. He'll yeah. turn up for two weeks, play for France, and that will be that for him in England. And <laughs> he'll leave with more questions than answers, unfortunately. Yeah. But uh, it'll be a lot of money to get off the wage bill for next summer when United will try and buy a proper defensive midfielder, I should have thought. So let's go to the league leaders, the three of them, as they must be acknowledged now. By a quirk of the fixture computer, while our three teams all had two home games, these three teams all had two away games in the last week. And they also made it five wins out of six. Let's start with the one of those games that did not go to plan. And that was West Ham 3, Chelsea 2, an absolute cracker Saturday lunchtime. Did uh, either of you see this want to start us off? Yeah, another another cracking game. What is it called these days? Is it called still called the Olympic Stadium? Or is the it, London uh, Stadium. The, sorry, apologies. Yes, the London Stadium. Yeah, it's the place to watch entertaining football at the moment, isn't it? I watched the, the second half and thought Chelsea were a shadow of the Chelsea I've watched in recent weeks anyway. Um, yeah, so there were I, some rumblings in midweek that they weren't quite themselves, but still hmm. ground out the win at Watford. They won 2-1 at Watford in midweek. They were just quite, um, quite messy and sloppy. Their passing was nothing like I've seen recently and a couple of players short of their first choice 11 for sure but yeah they seem rattled which West Ham do to teams most notably the goalkeeper Mendy was rattled wasn't he he had an absolute shocker so. just yeah. when everyone was ready to put him in their team of the season already before Christmas yes and um, complaining he wasn't part of the Ballon d'Or uh, reckoning and would you like to remind us of what uh, Thomas Tuchel blamed Jorginho's error on last week that could that, not have been the reason this week that, yeah that was floodlights so what could it have been this time <laughs> is it the Jorginho fallacy is that <laughs> That's right. So uh, Jorginho plays it back to Mendy. Mendy gets in an awful mess. Jared Bowen, who was excellent all game. uh, Yeah, he was fantastic. Harried him, basically, and won the penalty, Mm -hmm. uh, which Lanzini then stuck away. Jonathan Pierce called Lanzini mercurial player, which is a sort of polite way to say that he's neither here nor there. But Just on, on Jared Bowen, you know, plenty of players are plucked from the top of the championship and do yeah. well. He was plucked from near the relegation zone in Hull mm-hmm. City. Uh, what a signing he's been. He took a bit of a time to get into the team and actually start doing anything of note, but he must be one of their first names on the team sheet at the moment. He's really He obviously also scored West Ham's second equaliser uh, from the edge of the box with a left foot finish, finish into the bottom Lovely corner. Finish. Always better with left foot, doesn't it? Always looks better with left foot finish. Yeah, and a little goal. quick shout out for Mason Mount's goal because that was superb. Yeah. Um, first time volley. That was yeah, I was just uh, I had visions of uh, Jermaine Genus uh, praising that Diag from ZH. <laughs> But yeah, well taken by Mount, who had a brilliant week. Yeah, he also scored Chelsea's first goal at Watford and mm. then this great goal against West Ham. But then it all came down to about five minutes to go and Masuaku... Uh, what a strike. 
crossing it, let's face it. Uh, but it was so strange, wasn't it? Because it didn't get deflected, and yet the ball travelled straight as an arrow from a cross yeah. into the top corner. And you think that he, was a cross? You don't think that was a screen Well, he did, he did. They flashed up on Match of the Day his tweet saying, I was as surprised as you were, so <laughs> we have to take him, <laughs> take him at face value there. But, it, uh, it didn't appear to have a pace on it either. Exactly. Very, it looked really very strange. strange. Yeah, very odd. And that uh, just uh, topped off Mendy's day, didn't it? I really enjoyed the, uh, the shit from David Moyes just saying that West Ham weren't even that good yeah <laughs> uh, well as they say West Ham are massive everywhere they go um, what do you think their ceiling is this year I don't know I mean I I, I suppose we all thought that uh, the bubbles had faded and died but uh, they seem to have been sort of I don't know what the correct term would be but uh, reblown yeah reblown um, will do but uh, yeah that's uh, Liverpool and Chelsea who have fallen at the bubble bath and there's only City to complete the set now isn't there but we're two points behind them now with a game in hand so that's worth of a mention. Isn't that um, interesting? You know, everyone's probably calling them team of the season and you've been having a poor yeah. and other other words have been used season. But you're two points behind them. I think it's a bit of a crazy league this year. It is. It's wonderful crazy. in a way. West Ham are at Burnley on Sunday and uh, Chelsea, as we've already said, have leads to come. Now, Liverpool, well, Liverpool got that rather vexing uh, 99th, 100th minute, whatever, whatever it was, uh, winner at, at Wolves uh, with the old Jivok Rigi. His late substitute appearance goal was celebrated as if it was worth the league, wasn't it? And I suppose they do always say leagues are won on days like that. But Jota also had an incredible miss. Did you see that when the oh, goalkeeper yeah. was off his line? Must have annoyed hundreds of thousands of fantasy football players. Well, <laughs> yeah, he scored. Me, me uh, included. He scored, <laughs> you included. <laughs> He scored in midweek at Everton. I mean, who didn't? But that made it five and five for him. So everybody thought he was going to score at Wolves and, and then that happened. But yes, uh, the Merseyside derby went as we called it. And as our guest the other week, Paul definitely <laughs> did not call it. Uh, he said... optimism. <laughs> he said, don't rule out Everton getting something. I suppose... Um, they got a goal. <laughs> they got a goal. They got it They got it back to 2-1, didn't they? Um, which really was a sloppy goal from... Uh, Liverpool to give away, which is the only thing that Liverpool are doing wrong in recent weeks, really, because they're they're um, scoring more freely than Man City and Chelsea, probably you'd say. Certainly recovered incredibly well from their defeat at West Ham in recent week. But when when uh, Damari Gray made it two one, I suppose there there were claims from commentators uh, and some at Goodison Park that Everton were quote back in it. But uh, just as they were rallying at an Everton corner in the latter half of the second half, captain Seamus Coleman made this terrible error uh, around halfway. Salah nicks the ball from him, still got a lot of work to do. Pickford, I mean, I think we've discussed it before. I don't know how he's still playing for England, uh, certainly at number one. Poor positioning. Salah doesn't even connect properly, just has to literally just roll it past him. And then uh, Jota, as I say, beautiful solo goal to make it 4-1. So Liverpool picked up six points from their two games. Everton are playing Arsenal as we are recording, and I think Arsenal have gone ahead in that. So Nick, your prediction that uh, Rafa hasn't got long and would go this week might still come true, although has it changed with the with the news that they've sacked their director of football? Does it seem like they're going another way on this, or will yeah. they just end up letting everyone go? I got the sense that that was the sacrificial lamb. They needed, yeah. to, they needed some blood to be shed, but they yeah. weren't ready to get rid of Rafa yet, and I have to say I find that very strange because Rafa's super strength is being able to keep a clean sheet and keep it tight yes. and his defensive tactics. They keep getting battered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if they if they uh, get battered by Arsenal at home, there's really something wrong, isn't there? So they've not won a game since the last week of September. Yeah, They're in the Horrendous. wretched, wretched Horrendous. form. And only in that time they've had one draw, I believe. Um, I, I saw so a tweet this week. I'm afraid I don't know who it was from, but it was excellent. It said, uh, if you'd told an Everton fan in December 2019 that their next two managers would be Carlo Ancelotti and Rafa Benitez, but in December 2021, the club would be in a mutinous state. <laughs> that would be quite something. Uh, mutinous is probably the best word for that place at the moment. Well, apparently, yeah, they a small group of fans walked out this evening in protest at the way the club has been. Run. So they are two games away from 
the sort of scenes that I guess West Ham did against Sullivan and Gold. Oh yes, ago. yeah. Or the old um, throwing your season ticket on the on the pitch with two games to go, as if it's a big yeah. a big gesture. <laughs> it's an old favourite of mine. But uh, thank you for mentioning walkouts because I actually wanted to mention on the Merseyside derby. One of my pet hates is commentators calling fans out for leaving in the first half when they are quite clearly the vast majority of them just popping for a pint or a pie or both. You know, I mean, with the honourable exception of that aerial shot of Old Trafford uh, against Liverpool. There we could see that the people were leaving, <laughs> but uh, mostly when fans are shown to be leaving, uh, quote-unquote, in the first half, we don't know that. They're probably just nipping to the bar or the toilet, so something that really gets and, to me. <laughs> perfectly entitled to leave. Exactly. This of is course, point. perfectly <laughs> entitled to leave, but I'm, I'm just arguing it's probably not true. It's only it's some sort of crime. People, being paid to be there, yeah, of course. You can sit there until the end because you're being paid to be there. There and you'll get a nice taxi to the station away from the ground if you're commentating. <laughs> you try and wrestle with the Manchester trams after a match. Yeah. Now, Manchester City, also six points from the two games, away at Watford at the weekend and away at Gerrard, as we call them now, midweek. It wasn't that easy for City, was it? Certainly, uh, Gerrard had several chances. Ruben Diaz scored first with a deflected shot. Bernardo Silva is probably the player of the week because he scored once against Villa and twice against Watford and they were great goals as well. He made it 2-0 from a Gabriel Jesus cross who, to be fair to him, is doing very well playing out wide after I questioned that a few weeks ago. Ollie Watkins scored. He's also uh, on form at the moment. But then there was a penalty appeal, another chance for a young lad called uh, Chuk Wemeka. Grealish came on to loud boos and a ripple of applause, sort of mixed reaction, which is always quite fun that. to see. I do not understand that at all. It's, uh, do, it's, do you not understand he, the boos or the. No, uh, the boos. I, I, right. It's not like he went to a rival, is it? I mean, no. come on. He, he went <laughs> to. Well, yeah, that's just the delusion, things. isn't it? That's. Uh, but he didn't leave under a cloud or, or anything like that. He didn't refuse no, exactly. to play. He, it, very, very strange behaviour. I don't understand that. Oh, it's the pantomime season. He's yeah. a pantomime villain, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I did, um, on uh, Manchester City's second game of the week, very strange commentary crediting Pep with great man management. Because... <laughs> Because Bernardo Silva and Raheem Sterling, their two goal scorers, both publicly wanted to leave in the summer, or Sterling has talked about more recently. Perhaps that's apparently it's uh, all down to Pep's man management that they're now scoring goals. Perhaps that's still based on when he effectively offered to adopt Philip Lahm because he loved him that much. I can't can't argue with that. But um... I'm, I'm glad you are saying this, George, because I've thought all week why was City desperately trying to get rid of Bernardo Silva to fund their Kane and they were actively, yeah, actively yeah. trying to get rid yeah. of him. Yeah, and it's only the because they pay them a ridiculous amount that no one else is going to pay them their wages. And Sterling as well. I think you're absolutely right. I'm glad someone has said it. We're tackling the big issues on this podcast. Great, great man management. I knew that would. I knew that would stir you. Um, well, Nick, why don't you? Uh, why don't you strike while the iron's hot and comment on uh, Klopp's latest whinging? What's the latest whinging? Oh, fixtures. Oh, and, the uh, Klopp's latest whinging about the fixture calendar. See, I thought you were talking about his uh, him upsetting the entire nation or the entire continent of Africa. Um, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, the small tournament in Africa. Yeah, yeah that, I, I I'll think, defend him I mean, on that. That was taken out of context. But yeah, I think you're right. I'll uh, I'll let him off on that one. But uh, <laughs> I, I tell you what is interesting about that is Mendy at Chelsea, Mane and Salah at Liverpool are all about to disappear. Yeah. And I have a strong feeling that City are just getting into gear at the I right do too, moment. yeah. And they've yeah. done it the last few years. There's a bit of a wobble at the beginning as they get used to Pep's way of thinking. They lose a couple of games you wouldn't have expected them to lose. Yeah, I agree. And then they just get into the groove. And I think, especially with Chelsea dropping off, because I thought Chelsea looked brilliant at the beginning of the season, I think City are going to blow people away during that African Cup of Nations period. And Klopp, he he has been here long enough to understand what the fixture calendar is like. This is not a surprise. It's no. one of the reasons that everyone wants to work here in the winter. It's mad, crazy, and anyone can beat anyone. And as we've said, away. they do now get time off in January and February. They get the FA Cup, which people like Klopp consider like time off anyway, to be fair. And uh, actually, when you look at it, the amount of Premier League fixtures that the AFCON covers isn't that great because of the lunacy of how many we pack in in December. So if he can play more Premier League fixtures with the likes of Mane and Salah because of the way we structure it, then uh, he should be thankful for that, really. It's not like it's a new thing. I mean, you know, if you're that passionate and... I think it's so much of a big deal and plan for it in, in summer and 
And no. this is exactly my thought, George. Like he's made a point at the end of the match this weekend that he wished he was able to use Origi more. You can, mate. You can use him <laughs> for these matches that are coming up. And there's no point. Like the, the clubs that should never whinge about fixtures are the ones who stockpile all of these yes. players. Yeah. But if you're Sean Dyche at Burnley, I think you have a go because you're not playing on a level playing field for the next six weeks. But if you're Liverpool, you also don't have many games if you're Sean Dyche at Burnley. <laughs> this is very true. Yeah, you don't have the cup games to contend with. But Bare minimum. <laughs> I think. When but you look but at the depth, my my hunch is that someone like Klopp thinks this issue is like uh, what egg and chips was to Arsene Wenger that you can phase it out of the English game and revolutionise it and uh, make it more sensible. I think that in the in the context of our discussion here about these three and in the context also of a point that George made off air this week about how many teams have negative goal difference in the league this year. George, I don't know if you saw, but after you made that comment to me, Jonathan Wilson wrote an article in The Observer that addressed exactly that, the quality of the league, the fact that below those three, is it has the quality dropped off. Um, the teams below third are, are on track for the lowest totals in their position for some years now, maybe 15 years. Um, for example, West Ham in fourth, if they carry on at their current rate, uh, are on course to get fourth with 60-odd uh, points or something. I don't yeah, remember but... the exact statistics, but the point he was making yeah. was similar to yours, that um, that those three sort of emerging modern superpowers at the moment are splitting away from the rest, and the rest are all a bit uh, bunched up. I don't know whether you would say quality-wise, that's neither here nor there. But what I would say is that this run that we have now in December, as I said, with the seven Premier League match days in December, is one of the last things that we have in the Premier League that's a bit of a leveller, isn't it? Yeah. Or would you see it the other way around, that it's easier for the teams with the bigger squads and therefore it helps teams like Manchester City to get in gear and to pull away because I, I, smaller teams yeah. can't rest players and can't rotate? Where do you I, stand on that? I'd say so. Yeah, they've got a point. They've got the bigger squads and it's not just bigger squads, it's 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 bigger squads of, of quality. I was looking at Chelsea's bench uh, at the weekend and I think it must have cost them about £300 million. Yeah. Like they, it, it's, it totally plays in their hands. I fully expect the gap to be even bigger come January. Like I said to you off air, I think it's it's becoming like a bigger version of the Scottish Premier League. Yeah. It's just those three and then there's just loads of mother wells underneath <laughs> um, who Bit don't harsh. seemingly achieve anything but stay in the league. It's so, so bunched up. I, I think the gap will get even bigger and Klopp has no no foundation um, no. for his complaints whatsoever, if you ask me. Don't be so successful if you don't want to have more fixtures, I suppose. And he's never played his first team in the FA Cup as long as he's been there, as far as I can remember. No, he pulls out the Curtis Joneses and the Minaminos. So he's got plenty of rest coming up if he wishes to take it. So not much time left, really, to talk about elsewhere. But we have to mention uh, in Germany, the big game, Dortmund against Bayern. It was ultimately, at the end of the day, because of the uh, new wave of COVID over on the continent, it wasn't a full house. But certainly enough people were there to make it loud and to give Dortmund a good backing. It ended Dortmund 2, Bayern 3. What I would say about this game, I watched it uh, in its entirety. What I would say is the first hour was a true classic, absolutely fantastic. And at 60 minutes, it was 2-2 and it could have ended either way. It could have ended as anything, really. It was a great game. But sadly, then uh, there was a bad injury to, um, I forget now who it was, I think uh, Julian Brandt, a bad clash of heads, which caused a delay of a good eight to 10 minutes or so. And after all that, and, and another injury that also disrupted the game, the, the flow of the game was entirely disrupted. The sting had been taken out of it in terms of the home crowd also. And then there was the incident with the penalty, which has hit the news in England too, because England player Jude Bellingham is in trouble for what he said about the referee who's match fixed. Just to cover that side of it, this is a referee who about 15 years ago or even more was punished for accepting a relatively small bribe as a linesman. But he eventually was part of the group of people who shopped the referee, Heuser, who told the authorities on, on the referee who was match fixing on a very large scale and he was then imprisoned for it. And so they brushed that under the carpet and he was allowed to continue his career, this very young linesman at the time. And he's now a top ref. And so Bellingham upset with the uh, penalty 
that he gave after VAR review for a Hummel's handball, Bellingham said, what do you expect when you give a game like this to a man who's match fixed before? So um, it was quite an incendiary comment, as you can imagine, even if it was essentially factual. I don't have much sympathy for the authorities, though, that that he's criticising because uh, they were the ones who swept that under the rug and tried to keep it secret until it was then exposed years later by a newspaper. So, Also, how has that guy ended up with the biggest game in Germany this season? Yeah, so that's uh, Bellingham's point. Uh, he's probably not against him having a career or, or being allowed to work after his misdemeanour as a very young man, but uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that he should be given a game as high profile as this. Anyway, at the end of all that, it was essentially handball. It was just really disappointing in a game like that. I don't know how you can blame the actual, the individual, the referee who was on the pitch, because actually what happened was that the the VAR centre in Cologne found this infringement, as it were. Nobody called for it. Nobody appealed for it. Not the away fans, not the Bayern players. Nobody thought anything had gone wrong because it was just a, a corner and, and the ball was cleared. And then the VAR team in Cologne found the fact that Hummels had used a hand to clear the ball. So that was what was disappointing that I think uh, we've seen, especially this season, and maybe also in the last few days, if you look at the United game against Arsenal, Nick, where Martin Atkinson missed that very obvious penalty because he was standing behind it. Um, we've seen good applications of VAR and we've been thankful that it's there but this is one of those cases where um, a brilliant game was poised at 2-2 and then uh, a man in a basement somewhere else in the country finds an infringement that then decides the game because of course uh, Lewandowski's not going to miss in a million years anyway really really yeah, enjoyed <laughs> sorry it was, I think I was even worse than Rafinha's run-up. The penalty. He hopped on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> it was incredibly, incredibly ballsy. Obviously, if you score that many goals, you're going to be ballsy. But I thought it was, um, yeah, I think we're seeing the end of people just running up and hitting it. <laughs> Hop, skipping a jump first. Yeah. Jorginho is popularising that, isn't he? Oh, God. He used yeah. to tell me that would be illegal. but Yeah. He missed the most important one. And Italy aren't going to make it to the World Cup. Perhaps, if Ronaldo has anything to do with it. <laughs> oh, well, lots to look forward to in the new year there, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, in waiting for that game to come on on Saturday, I just happened to see uh, highlights on Sky of Fulham-Bournemouth on Friday night. Um, I don't know if either of you caught this, but Bournemouth scored with a goal directly from the second half kickoff. Um, that was a lovely move. Oh, you've seen that, have you? Yeah, lovely move. I think it was 12 seconds. It was, it was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, and it was just five passes. It was just such a clearly well rehearsed training ground move, wasn't it? And it just came off beautifully. And it was from from the kickoff of the second half. I've never seen anything like that really. That was great. So just a shout out to the championship there, I suppose. Uh, (laughs) A rare one. Elsewhere in the Bundesliga, I wanted to point out that on Friday night, also Union Berlin beat uh, Red Bull Leipzig. That's a huge result for the smaller team in Berlin who have done really, really well. And last month in November. They won the derby against Hertha Berlin as well, which is huge for them. Still flying pretty high in the league. And uh, in the cup also, they've got another derby against Hertha Berlin. They're currently in sixth, while their city rivals are down in 14th. So amazing for them. We briefly talk about the only Bundesliga game on Sunday. (laughs) I'm not sure I've seen this before. The away team going 6-0 up. So, yeah, the late game on Sunday (laughs) was uh, Freiburg at Mönchengladbach, 6-0. And very, very hard to explain this. I saw some tactical uh, experts, some Bundesliga experts online struggling to find explanations for this. This Mönchengladbach team are the same side that dumped Bayern out of the cup 5-0, which was equally difficult to explain. And they now lost 6-0 to Freiburg at home. It's more that absolutely nothing happened in the second half. It's almost Ah, like they didn't even bother coming back out. It was 6-0 up, a few cards, and then nothing happened in the second half. Yeah, the the sixth goal was scored in the 37th minute. You're right, yeah. Okay. Very odd. And uh, Leverkusen, who I gave a shout-out to last time, they uh, beat basement side uh, Wojtosfurth 7-1. So they're doing very well. And uh, Dortmund obviously lost to Bayern in the big match, but they might be looking over their shoulders at Bayer Leverkusen now, who are only three points behind them. In Italy, Napoli had a terrible week, didn't they? In midweek, they uh, lost a 2-0 lead away at Sassuolo, who also denied, um, who also beat Milan the other week. So they're having a say in this title race. And then uh, Napoli lost an absolute belter of a game at home to Atalanta on Saturday also. Um, yeah, I think we I think we jinxed them last weekend because we were waxing the record about Napoli, weren't we? 
Uh, exactly. I'm afraid we might have because uh, Milan are now top. And Inter, after uh, thrashing Mourinho's Roma 3-0 in Rome on Saturday, are now second. That was the second defeat of the week for Roma too. And of course, that means Mourinho inevitably is starting to get bulky. Did you see this, Nick? I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Wasn't he shaming a journalist? How What's he said honest? now? <laughs> You've been there, haven't you? You've been yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, we both, both have, yeah. I think, yeah, um, I think he said, uh, that's why I make more money than you for some for some reason we don't really need to know the details anymore do we it's just so unpleasant (laughs) talking about what someone else earns and uh yeah yeah, i think great manager in his day but if he cocks up roma where does he go qatar australia mls that's right he's in seventh place seven defeats already this season out of 16 games there's a very solid theory that if he turns up with his head shaved yeah he, le- <laughs> he leaves within a couple of weeks he will right. look back at all the clubs he's been at when it all goes yeah. wrong he shaves his head and then he leaves. so you're basically saying he's like britney spears <laughs> <laughs> the head shave is not far away i tell you and just a note on napoli is that next visitors to napoli are anyone Leicester City. Leicester City in the Europa League. Yes, that would be a good one. Should be a cracking game. That could well be a cracker. Yeah, the week in Europe. Milan and Barca, I think, is where it's at. Champions League. Barca go to Bayern, which will be uh, a reduced capacity now, and. Bayern, of course, already through and comfortable. So Barca may get the result. But if they don't, uh, Benfica are ready to pounce there. And Barca could end up playing on Thursday night, which would be quite the spectacle and which would uh, set social media on a blaze. Barcelona uh, lost at the weekend again, didn't they? Barcelona lost to Betis at the weekend. Mm, yeah, that's true. They are not going to be in the Champions League next year. There, I've called it. Yeah. They are down in seventh, aren't they? And uh, Real Madrid, after in the last couple of pods, we said how tight it was at the top in Spain. Real Madrid have raced clear, haven't they? They've eight points clear now after Atletico Madrid also lost at the weekend. But yeah, Milan, uh, welcome Liverpool to the San Siro, still with a chance to go through that group. We've talked a bit about how interesting that group is below Liverpool. Uh, Spurs versus Rennes in the Europe Conference, as I've mentioned. And uh, just to finish then, next weekend, we have Ralph Rangnick's Man United on telly at Norwich. What do you expect there, Nick? Um, That's say three I mean, points. I have to say, I think Norwich will get battered. <laughs> Didn't Dean Smith get something from uh, United earlier this season? Oh, I don't know. I just feel like if United play like they did in the first half against Palace, they'll win 3 or 4-0. Yes, the first half hour was praised by uh, Gary Neville as well. He said it was brilliant. Um, And then we have Chelsea Leeds. We all know why that's not on TV, don't we, George? Because it's absolute filth. (laughs) Post-watershed filth. (laughs) They're not allowed to put it on at (laughs) 10pm. Exactly. Also, I'd like to remind you, Nick, uh, about your little um, theory that Sky are always where the narrative is. Well, they're not at Anfield, where Steven Gerrard is next week. They've had a nightmare. They've missed one there. Yeah, they missed Solskjaer getting sacked, Michael Carrick coming in. They missed the Ronaldo show when he turned up. They've they've really taken their eye off the ball of Sky. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so uh, Gerrard at Anfield next week. And just before we came on, we've seen the FA Cup third round draw also. So we saw that uh, Stevie G's going to Old Trafford. You yeah, said snooze fest. Yeah. You said that's a snooze, Nick. But you never know. I think there's a narrative in that, and we all know it's going to be on TV. Leeds, remind me, George. Oh, away at West Ham. Away at West Ham. Oh, twice, twice fest. in twice in a week. Same thing. Oh, really? Because yeah. that's also what's happening with um, United and yeah. Villa. And I have a feeling the there's another. There's another all Premier League tie, which is also we're we calling same rigged. Are we calling rigged? You can blame David Seaman for all this because he did the draw. Well, we've lost the last three games, two one to West Ham. So I have no hope. And our cup record in the last sort of 20 years is abysmal. And of course, we all know West Ham are up for the cup. Oh, God. And I suppose I'll leave it for today uh, on the note that Spurs will be at home to Morecambe. (laughs) The big one. That should be on telly. That's a good, that's a great third round game. That's uh, Sunday tea time, isn't it? Yeah. Or Friday night under the lights. (laughs) With with the camera on the Morecambe fans at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium throughout Okay, so that was a bumper edition with uh, so many games to get through. Sorry we didn't get to everyone and sorry we didn't get to go around Europe as normal. Normal service to an extent resumed next week, although the games are coming thick and fast all this month, as George has been telling us for many weeks. So thanks very much, guys, and see you again next week. Thank you, Nick. Thank you. And thank you, George. Thank you very much. Always a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers.